following podcast was recorded on Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, featuring Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Talking Data. I'm your host, Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading, joined today by our presenter, Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. Welcome, Sam. Hey, Kristen. Good to see you. We're anxious to hear the latest on the housing market. As we know, it's continued to be red hot. We've got strong demand, limited inventory. Tell us about the different parts of the country. What region is performing the best and what's who's performing the worst? It's, it's a really interesting conversation to, to have right now because there's there's been a lot of speculation, you know, the housing market's falling apart, it's falling apart, it's falling apart. And yeah, it's cooling, but it's not necessarily falling apart. I mean, if you look at call it the overall data on new home sales, it's pretty much just a reversion, at least to, at this point, just a reversion to where we were pre-COVID era. Uh, it's a lot about location. Right, uh, you have a lot of people that have demand for homes in the South uh, for a number of reasons, um, and you know the South absolutely fell off a cliff over the last year in terms of sales. Right, and the South is an incredibly important part of the housing market at about 50% of new home sales. Uh, when you actually look at the underlying numbers, New England is actually still doing very well. The Northeast, um, kind of minus New York. Uh, is still doing very well, right? That's at 48,000. That's a pretty good number for the Northeast in general. There's a lower demand and a lower supply uh, in the Northeast, just generally for homes, um, partially because it's cold, but also partially because there's less land and it tends to be more expensive uh, to build. It's just a fact. Uh, but when it comes to the West and the Midwest, you know, you're just kind of call it back to pre-COVID trend. And even in the South, that has you know, is down pretty significantly from the peak. Even in the South, it's just back to pre-COVID levels. So I think there's a little bit of, call it an overbought narrative that housing demand has just completely dried up. I mean, it's certainly you know not what it was during the COVID era, but it's certainly also not, you know, call it 2008 yet. Can you take a moment to talk about what you've what you've coined as the COVID housing effect? What happened? We talked about pre-pandemic, but what really changed during COVID? What really I, there are a number of things that changed during COVID when it comes to the when it comes to the COVID effect. You know, the, the first and main one was we all had to begin working at home, uh, and if you were working at home in a smaller apartment, uh, it was pretty difficult. You know, you didn't have a lot of space. You know, where were you going to set up your home office? Was it going to be your bedroom, your living room, uh, you know, your kitchen? Uh, so people began to search for space. If we were going to be able to work from home, it made sense to, you know, move out of the city, right? If, you, if you're if you living in a small apartment in a city, you were pretty much there to be close to the office and close to the amenities, right? You wanted to go to the theater and you wanted really good food. And when you couldn't go to the theater and the office was closed and you couldn't get the really good food, uh, it really takes down the incentive to live in an expensive small apartment. So people... And, particularly millennials, uh, began to search for more space. And that search for more space was generally a single family home somewhere in the suburbs or outside of 
you know, call it New York City, Boston, you know, those places. So you began to see a generation of home buyers that really hadn't moved into, quote unquote, the householding effect yet. And so COVID really kind of jolted that alive. Uh, we didn't have any supply, right? It was very difficult to build a home in the middle of COVID. Uh, so you didn't have much supply come online. So you pushed up prices and, you know, we've, we've seen the effects of that over the past you know, six to nine months. Uh, you know, March was up 20%, uh, give or take for uh, home prices. You know, that makes a lot of sense when you have a lot of demand and you have very little supply coming on, coming online. Uh, so, you know, you began to see this uh, mental shift from millennials that led to uh, a different world. Uh, work from home really did have an effect uh, that's much longer tailed than people are anticipating. We have a chart that we want to take a look at next for median days on the market. We're looking at home sales. We do have limited inventory, as you mentioned, strong demand, but we've also got uh, rising mortgage rates. Is it having an impact? What does this chart tell us? Yeah, so so it is having an impact, and, it, and that's it's interesting, right? You don't have uh, home staying on the market for very long, but you do have, uh, you know, you have some existing homes that are beginning to supply the market. Uh, that's beginning to come online as people kind of begin to quote unquote rush ahead of mortgage rates and fall in demand. Right? There was an interesting uh, statement from Redfin this morning with the suggestion that you list your house quickly and you list it under you know under you know the other comps. And I thought that was it was kind of an interesting call it panic uh, from Redfin on that front. It, it just it seems to me that there's a little bit of a disconnect between the narrative that we have enough supply, right? Six to nine months of supply on the market actually isn't that much. Uh, and you still only have homes staying on the market for between, call it 20 and 40 days. Yeah, it doesn't really matter where you are. They're still actually selling at a pretty fast clip, you know, even going back five to 10 years. So this is this is something really that I think is a really longer tail story. Yes, we're going to have some cooling in the housing market and it's highly credit sensitive. Obviously, mortgage rates have, you know, have doubled basically. Um, that's going to be somewhat of a break to the market, but I don't think it's going to break the market for the longer run. What positives are starting to emerge? The positives that are starting to emerge are, are that you're actually beginning to have some supply come on the market. Uh, you know, that's it's generally considered a negative um, if you're looking at the economic picture because you you're likely to have some price declines uh, on the margin as you begin to bring more existing homes on the market. Uh, but new homes really aren't, you know, you're not seeing the new home uh, building that, you know, you would like to see for longer term supply dynamics. Uh, so it's it's kind of a give and take here. I do think that you're going to continue to see uh, some existing homes come on the market as people, you know, look at how much their home has appreciated according to, you know, their you know, their Zestimate or whatever it might be and begin to say, hey, listen, you know, my house has gone up 40% since I bought it. Maybe now's a good time to sell and, you know, consider moving somewhere else. I think there is some going to be some dynamic there that's healthy for the market, right? We do want to have some of that churn, uh, but as long as you continue to have, you know, new homes being built at 800,000 a year. That's just not enough uh, to supply the millennial demand over time. And how about the lumber? What's going on with the price of lumber? Lumber is a, a really interesting commodity. Uh, you know, looking back over the last two and a half years, you know, lumber prices have been some of the most volatile prices 
basically in commodity land. I mean, you've had two booms and two busts already. What's what's kind of intriguing is that if you go to the actual landowners that have the trees, they haven't they never saw the price of their trees go up much at all. Right, lumber yards were just buying the trees at pretty much the same price, sawing them up, and trying to get them out the door as quickly as possible. Uh, lumber is, uh, call it, the easiest way to kind of get a feel for what's going on with uh, new home demand and renovation demand. Uh, it's pretty direct into housing and housing pretty much only. I mean, there's there's other uses, don't get me wrong, but it's but the primary use is going to be in-home construction and renovations. You know, copper doesn't give you that feeling, um, et cetera. So I do think that it's a pretty good sentiment check on you know, we do have enough lumber supply and we're not building as many homes as we might have anticipated. Uh, so this is likely to continue to bleed lower back towards those pre-COVID levels that made a lot more sense. And we were building more homes, uh, to be honest. Uh, we were building more homes back then and lumber was almost half the price. So I, I think you're going to continue to see this come under pressure, uh, almost regardless of whether or not you have a Call it a short-term bust in housing, and then that longer-term demand kicks in as people begin to uh, buy the call, buy the dip in housing uh, and move out of the apartment and uh, move out of their apartments. Uh, that this is going to continue to be a story uh, as we move forward. So, what should we watch for next in terms of from a supply perspective? I think this the the supply uh, the supply should go up. That that it's it's pretty pretty straightforward on that front. Supply should go up because you have a you have kind of the opposite problem as you did coming out of 2008, right? In 2008, the narrative was how many people were underwater, couldn't sell their home, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the narrative now is that almost everybody, not everybody, but a significant amount of homeowners are above water and they're above water in a pretty big way. Uh, it kind of makes sense if you're retired to sell your home and pull out some of that equity. Uh, it makes sense to move to lower tax jurisdictions if you're in a higher tax jurisdiction. It's That's been one of the underlying stories of the current housing boom is if you can work from home or you're retiring, it's easy to go search for a lower income uh, tax bracket state, right? You know, there's several that don't have income taxes and you can just move there and you automatically get a bump uh, either working from home or on the retirement front. Uh, so I think you're going to continue to see this migration uh, from higher tax jurisdictions to lower tax jurisdictions. You know, we've made a big deal about Texas and Florida being very different when it comes to housing. I think that's going to continue as you get more and more COVID retirees moving. You get more and more work from home, minus Tesla. Uh, but you get more and more work from home opportunities, that's going to generate demand for paying less in taxes and finding places that are cheaper to live in general. That tends to be the South uh, and Midwest. It does not tend to be the coast. So I think you're going to continue to have that type of dynamic moving forward. Well, thank you, Sam, for your thoughts today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are client-driven. If you have any questions or feedback on future topics, please let us know. For any questions on Arbor Research, Bianco Research, or Arbor Data Science, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day, everyone.